Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Vlog. I'm Adam Otenko. With me, as always, Mike Minkoff. Adam, Adam, Adam. How's, uh, how's it feel to be back in a, a healthy, rewarding relationship with the Celtics? Oh, it's, it's definitely rewarding. It's mutually beneficial. I'm not sure it's healthy because I am obsessed. And uh, I don't think uh, swinging the pendulum to the far side on either side makes a lot, whole lot of sense in terms of health. Yeah, I wasn't uh, gonna. I wasn't gonna cast aspersions, but yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm enjoying this though. Holy cow! Josh Motenko is not with us today, Mike. Today, you and I we're going to talk about the last three games. We'll talk about Tatum. Uh, is he in the MVP conversation? Fans were certainly chanting so uh, in Boston against Brooklyn. We'll talk about Ime Odoka and his coaching. Where does he rank in Coach of the Year? Uh, and we'll get to some standings watch uh, before looking at the next few games. But let's start, Mike, three wins against Atlanta, Memphis, and Brooklyn. Uh, a huge, huge win against Brooklyn. I, this is the uh, most impressive stretch of the season so far, as, as far as I'm concerned, because we won three in a row against good teams. I mean, look, we were on this podcast last week saying that this was a prove-it week, and we were hoping that Celtics were going to come out with two wins against what we knew was going to be a tough kind of uh, gauntlet of of teams. Um, you know, I was both excited and terrified uh, before the week started about our matchup against John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, at the time that we recorded, we didn't even know that Kevin Durant was going to be back for this game. There was indication that he might be. It was hopeful. It was possible it was going to be his first game back. It happened to be his second game back. And it doesn't matter because Kevin Durant is an alien that is uh, put on this planet solely to play basketball and put the basket, the ball in the hoop. Uh, he's unbelievable and terrifying when he's on the opposing team. Um, despite all of that, we came out of this week 3-0, and um, you know, but particularly on the back of, of Jason Tatum's stellar play elevating against John Morant and Kevin Durant. Horford had an unbelievable game against Memphis um, and really just the entire kind of base, aside from maybe the first half against Atlanta, which was a little touch and go. I mean, I guess the first half against Memphis was sloppy as well. Um, you know, it's just the, the, the ability to truly believe this team is something of you know contender level substance it's it's hard hard not to palpably feel that at this point yeah and especially um impressive with jalen brown going down with an injury uh missing part of the atlanta game missing the entirety of the memphis game and then i would assume not at full strength coming back uh his first game back against brooklyn and then of course without neesmith too which and that's the big thing that I've been saying. When you, when guys go down, we ha there has to be a next man up mentality, and we have to continue to do to play well. And that we have not been doing that um, up until now. So that is another piece that is like I've been waiting all season for that, uh, and I love seeing that. So if you if you were to take you know highlight one takeaway from these last three games, I mean beyond I guess maybe this next man up uh element you know is there anything that particularly stood out at you to you from the three games about the team about the way we played about yeah there's a there's a level of grit and resiliency um and a focus um and a consistent effort 
that just wasn't there in the same way early in the season. And that's what we, that's, we all talked about how frustrating that was. It, you know, some games they would have a consistent effort, but, um, but they would, the other team would go on a run and they wouldn't be able to come back. And, and it, they, you know, they might be fighting hard, but they're sulking a little bit or they get out of rhythm. They, your turn, my turn with Jalen and, and Tatum, they kind of stop running the offense in the same way. They're, they're not fully together on a string on defense really, really early in the season. This last stretch, it's like, not only are they doing all of those things, they're playing pretty consistently 48 minutes, full games, huge effort. They're like, if things are not going well, they're going to buckle down on defense and try and get offense from that. They, the team keeps talking about generating offense from defense, which the idea is uh, that if they create turnovers they and or um, create misses, that that allows them to fast break uh, and then they get easy buckets. Uh, in addition to that, Ime Odoka, he's, his system and what he's been preaching all year, and he's been talking about this recently, is he wants them to run the offensive system that he has, which there's certain actions that they like Tatum in, but it's not like, oh, you're hot, you're, you're going to score 50 plus, just go do your thing, go isolate. In fact, the defense that they run is predicated on creating, having the, the offense playing against them try and hunt for mismatches. So if Peyton Pritchard is on the floor, they're going to try and, and switch and then go one-on-one -on -one against Pritchard. Well, the Celtics' best players, it's really, really tough to create mismatches because they're all such good defenders and they can all guard so many different positions, both smalls and bigs. Um, and one of the things that I love about that is it reinforces the idea that the best offense is not, even against a team like Brooklyn, that has the best one-on-one -on -one offensive players in the league. The best offense is not to go one-on-one -on -one against mismatches. It's to run a system to get the defense moving and to get open shots. And, and so I love that their defense is supporting the idea of their offense to shift mindset, specifically for Tatum and, and Brown. And so they're, they're gritty, they're defending consistently, they're running the offense the right way, um, and they're just kind of doing everything right. And I think maximizing their potential and they're creating a tremendous amount of confidence as a result. Yeah, this team, I mean, this team reminds me of, incidentally, a lot of the early Brad Stevens teams in the way that mm. is playing with a resolve and a resilience and a, a, a kind of commitment to the, the greater team and playing, you know, a system that enhances uh, the collective rather than settling for ISO. Um and it, it particularly reminds me, and, and this might blow your mind when I say this, of the the bubble team in the playoffs. That's not the mind-blowing part. The mind-blowing part is that that was only 18 months ago. Yeah. It actually wasn't even 18 months ago. It feels like seven years ago. <laughs> but Yep, and it was actually um, two seasons ago. <laughs> yeah, it was two seasons ago. But Wait, it no, was, three. Three seasons uh, ago. No, well, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, the season before last. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was in September. I just looked up the, the bubble date. The final started September 30th that year. So it was like 18 months ago that uh, not not quite that the Celtics were in the Eastern Conference finals playing just like this. But again, like the, the, the level of playmaking um, from Jason Tatum in particular, the maturation um, of the, the collective wasn't quite at this level, but the cohesiveness was. And... You know, I think when I was saying kind of a, a contender level substance to this team, 
that that's kind of what you were saying, Adam, is kind of what I was thinking. Like this team knows who it is now. And it knows who it is in a way that that suggests a, a true unflappability. And it's like completely flabbergasting in the best possible way as a Celtics fan that this team went uh, from from a team that in fourth quarters, it felt like, you know, if the slightest gust of wind blew, the entire structure would topple mm-hmm. to one that can withstand like hurricane, hurricane force winds. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they did that in two and a half months. I think it's a credit to Udoka. It's a credit to the players. Yeah. It's a credit to the entire organization uh, for for having kind of a, a level of metal and and collective resolve built on individual resilience and resolve um but it's awesome <laughs> it's just awesome it's it's so delightful to be able to talk about this type of team instead of the team we were we were struggling to enjoy uh for the first few months of the season they are 19 and 3 in the last 21 games they're 13 and 2 in the last 15 games in that time they were destroying bad teams, blowing out bad teams. And the question that we had and and the criticism that some people, some fans gave was, can they do it against the good teams? Well, now they're showing that, yes, they can. In three uh, nationally televised games as well. So if you're not getting up for those, uh, there's something's wrong. Um, here's the question for you, Mike. What happens when, Wednesday night when they go on the road to Charlotte or the night a- two nights after when they come back home and play Detroit again? Look, I already told you I'm not I'm not worried about duds the way they had right before yep. um right before the All-Star break. I mean, and they had one against the Pacers too. Um last last Sunday, but that was again the third game in four nights, second night of a back-to-back. That's that's one where if if you if you're someone that had read those kind of Baxter Holmes like preseason schedule loss articles that he he yeah. wrote uh in the years preceding the at least the whole pandemic situation which you know put all of that on its head that one would have been like a a preseason schedule loss right but um no i think this team is kind of again it just it found itself in a way that 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 makes it more less susceptible to to letting up on on a game like this Charlotte game or the the subsequent Detroit game. I think this team is really locked into a mindset of of you know competing against itself as kind of Ime has been preaching and not not letting the opponent dictate its performance. I think they're really locked in on being the best version of themselves and you know Jalen came out after the Nets game and said we haven't hit our peak yet. You know, I think they're continuing to try to push and grow. And, and at this point, I think we, we owe them more than the benefit of the doubt. But we've actually seen the evidence that they're going to keep working. They're going to keep working. They're going to try to solve the problems. They're going to keep seeking to improve. Um, and, I, and I think that's manifested on multiple fronts. And I don't, you know... It, is it possible that we lose kind of a close game or, or have a bit of a letdown? Of course. Um, but I, I expect us to be pretty locked in and have a really strong showing in both of those games. Yeah. You know, I expected you to have that response and I am almost in full agreement with that. I have a little bit of fear still that about, about a letdown, but if I had to put money on it, I would bet that they don't miss a beat 
for the rest of this season. So, Adam. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I was just going to, I hope this is the transition you were expecting, but um, a big piece of this, especially when Jalen Brown went down, I before, have a question. No? Before okay. we transition to that, where I know you're going, I, there's one thing that we've talked about. We, you and I talked about it two weeks ago. We, we mentioned it a little bit with Josh last week. The, uh, the maybe they weren't so silly after all, 538 and, you know, all-in-one prediction metrics for, for the NBA season. So 538 Raptor has the Celtics as having the best chance of any individual team of winning the finals at 18%. The Bucks are second at 16%. Suns are third at 15%. Uh, ESPN's BPI has the Celtics as having the, the second best playoff BPI, uh, basketball power index, uh, behind only the Phoenix Suns. Um, do you believe those are more accurate than we originally than we originally allowed ourselves to believe? No, I, I still believe the same thing. We, we, you know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn had Kyrie and, and KD. And if you watched the game live, you, you heard Steve Nash talking to their huddle about, we haven't played together yet. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. That's okay. We're going to continue the effort though. He was preaching effort knowing that they're not a cohesive unit yet. They're missing Ben Simmons as well. Uh, Harden and Embiid are gelling really nicely early on, but when you make a trade like that, it takes a little time to to get everything set. Um, and you know, uh, Phoenix is missing their best player. Um, I until I see this team in the playoffs, um, having the kind of impact that they're having in games against Milwaukee when they're gunning to, to repeat as champions you know, p- potentially in the first round or second round um, and then playing a team like Philadelphia in the second round. Like I, I need to see them against the best of the best when they're at full strength and, and it's win or go home. And this, these playoffs are going to be really, really tough in the Eastern Conference. We're probably going to have three really tough series just to get to the finals. We are. And, and right now, and we're not going to have much at this point, we ha- don't have home court advantage. So um and I'm sorry, but I, I still value star power in the playoffs. And we've got two, but uh, some other teams have well, three. Let's, so. Okay, so let, let, let's move this forward. But there, there's, there's a nice transition here. So what were you going to say, Adam? Well, when Jalen Brown went down, I started wondering, is Tatum going to try and put the team on his shoulders and score every time and go one-on-one? And I think Josh mentioned, I think it was on the, the Celtics blog Slack, but that seeing Tatum play after Brown went down, seeing him continue to pass out of double teams, find the open man, run the offense, that he's hoping that he, he gets it. And and I mean, Tatum just won player of the week with three amazing games. So I, I want to throw it to you to, to talk about him. Yeah, I mean, yes, he had three amazing games. Uh, the past two games in particular, as where he went head-to-head with and, and was clearly better than in those games, uh, John Morant and Kevin Durant um, against Memphis. He w- had a line of 37, 6, and 5. Against the Nets, he was went for 54, uh, 5, and 3. So in the past two games, averaging, you know, just a cool 45.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 4 assists. Um, over the past six games, so since the All-Star break, he's, he's just been kind of scorching. So his post-All-Star game, He's played in six games. He's averaging 34 points per game, seven rebounds, 4.7 assists. 
Um, his true shooting since the All-Star break has been 6'10", whereas it was 5'53", pre-All-Star break. He's up to 37% shooting post-All-Star break, 47% from the field. Again, it's only six games, small sample, but he's been dominant, in effect. And, you know, it it's gotten to the point where I've been hearing a lot of chatter about the MVP race and who's in the top five. And to be clear, Jason Tatum is should not be the MVP of this, this year. There are three clear front runners, Nikola Jokic, uh, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. They are in kind of a, a tier unto themselves. I think any of them have an argument based on team record and advanced stats and just how dominant they are on the court. Um, but then you have all of this chatter about other players like DeMar DeRozan and how he's helped carry Chicago and John Morant and, and how impressive um, the Grizzlies have been. You have Steph Curry and how, uh, obviously, especially to start the season, he helped elevate the, the Warriors and their position in the West. Um, his net rating is still extremely impressive. The on-off with him is really jarring, uh, but they've also struggled mightily without uh, a healthy Draymond. And so I started kind of looking into this. I think there's kind of multiple layers that, to me, make it pretty clear that Jason Tatum should be in the conversation for the top five of the MVP race. He wow. won't be a top three, but I think he should be four or five. And And I'm not really sure how an argument, when you look at it, like, who makes more sense than him, despite what I just said about like Morant and especially if he kind of continues not quite at the level he's been playing the last six games. Cause I don't think that's sustainable, but mm-hmm. just at like a slight improvement from what he was doing pre all-star, which I do think is realistic. So, you know, just a couple of statistical elements first since uh, December 31st. So that's, we're talking about an over two month sample NBA net rating leaders that have played 30 minutes per game and at least 20 games over that period. Uh, there is a Celtic number one in the league. It's actually not Jason Tatum. It's Marcus Smart. We love wow. him and we trust him. Um, <laughs> he, he, he hasn't, uh, he's, he's played like 23 games or so in that time. He's obviously not going to be the MVP. Jason Tatum is number two at plus 17.4. Number three over that period, Chris Paul. Number four is actually Robert Williams. Number six on the list is Jalen Brown. Uh, the other guy, a few other guys in the top ten are Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic. So that says a couple of things. One, it says the Celtics as a team have just been ridiculously good since December 31st. Um, blowing teams out. We've been blowing teams out, and it's been a collective effort. You know, our starting our starting five, and particularly that core foursome of of Smart, Jalen. Tatum and Robert Williams is just dominant. That's all very good news for us over the long term. Um, but Tatum obviously is, is a major factor in in our team's success and and is the head of the snake, so to speak. Five thirty eight Raptors wins above replacement has Jason Tatum as second in the NBA behind only Nikola Jokic. So that wins above replacement includes total minutes played. Um, so if you just look at overall Raptor and kind of isolate this to, to players with at least 1600 minutes played on the season, Tatum is still fifth in the NBA 
behind Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, and Steph Curry. Then, I mean, there's the eye test. He's clearly, you know, playing with more assertiveness. Um, uh, he's staying within the system more reliably. There are some numbers that kind of support that. If you look at Tatum's assist rate by month, it was in throughout 2021, it was basically 18 assist or 18 percent assist rate. Um, I think one of those months he was 18.3 in November or December. Um, in 2022, it's been 21.8%, 21.1%, and so far in March, it's 24.6%. Obviously, that's just a couple of games. So the team has elevated as a whole. Tatum um, and the way that he has improved on playmaking, he's, his shooting is is getting slowly better. It was it was better in January. It wasn't actually all that good in February. Uh, it's It's ticking up again in March. Um, on top of that, and one of the key distinctions, and, and to me the most important factor uh, in separating Tatum from like a DeRozan or a Morant, is that Tatum is not by accident part of the number one defense in the NBA. He's a very, very, very good defender. And that's one of the things that elevates all three of Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis in the MVP conversation. There, I mean, Jokic is the best offensive player in the NBA right now. What he's doing is truly insane and underappreciated. Um, but all three of Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis are, are plus defenders, and that brings him a tick above. John Morant is a minus defender. DeMar DeRozan, still a minus defender. Um, LeBron James maybe could be in the conversation, but that Lakers team is an absolute disaster. Uh, Steph Curry could be in the conversation, not a plus defender. So you take all of that. And then the other piece I would say that we've seen from Tatum, this is my last little factor is in the last month or so, maybe just in the last few weeks, even we've seen uh, what I, what I think is obviously a very intentional effort by Tatum to increase his presence um, he, he had a extremely, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Adam, but he had an extremely kind of mature, interesting, uh, interview on JJ Reddick's old man in the three podcast. Mm. He had a recent interview with Sham Sharania where he again chronicled and, and talked about kind of his relationship with Jalen Brown. And he's kind of learned how to control the narrative, um, and, and kind of us, you know, bring his voice and perspective into these situations. And that's, it's, it's really uh, an impressively mature and, and level voice that he's bringing on some topics that have been like a point of contention or frustration or consternation among Celtics fans. So to me, when you take all of that together, like I think Jason should be, in like the the four or five spot of the MVP race as things stand right now. So how I mean the MVP is a, a regular season award. How much emphasis do you put on the first half of this year for the Celtics being a 500 team? I mean it's a it's a full season award. Right now we have the fourth best net rating in the NBA where moving up the standings um, we're playing clearly we've been the best team in basketball by pretty much any way you slice it for over two months. So it's not irrelevant, but it we weren't the worst team in basketball because Tatum was like terrible. Mm -hmm. Like he was still pretty good. 
we were still better on the court without him. Like um, if we didn't have him, imagine what we would have been those first three months. So, so, so it, I don't think it, it doesn't help him obviously the same way the last couple of months have, but I don't, I don't think it's like the reasons we weren't playing that good were also not because Tatum was being an absolute disaster. He was, he had some issues. The ball was sticking with him, right? His playmaking wasn't nearly as good. Yeah. There were, there were all sorts of bad habits uh, from him and others that, that needed to get kind of uh, shaken loose. If he had been playing the first three months of the season, the way he's been playing the last two months, he might be in that top three. Like he's been playing, he's been that good the last couple of months. So, so I think it matters. And it's why I don't think he's remotely in the conversation for top three. But there's no, like, I just don't see how he's not right in the conversation with, like, Curry, DeRozan, Morant, LeBron at that next year. That's a, I mean, it's a really interesting take. Uh, and what do you expect the the national media, the people actually voting, to think about that? Well, obviously, I have the ear of all of the national media analysts. So I expect they'll give this a lot of thought. Um, no, I, I mean, I think... I think that we're probably two or three weeks away from this being the conversation in the national media. If the Celtics continue to play like this. Wow. That, I mean, I could be wrong, but especially if like the Lakers keep kind of being in this nebulous no man's land, but like, you know, LeBron would be one, an obvious person to potentially be in front of him. LeBron's had a great statistical season, but the Lakers are like five games below 500 Durant, Obviously, like, despite what happened against the Nets, if I were to pick one player for a seven-game series today, it would be Durant over Tatum. Easily, yeah. Uh, if I were to pick one of them for the next five years, that's getting to be a trickier conversation than I expected it would at this point in Tatum's career, frankly. But uh, Durant missed so much time with his injury, I, you know, he's not going to be that high in the conversation, I don't think. Unless the Nets make a huge run at the end just because he's healthy, then maybe maybe his value is so clearly demonstrated. Um, Chris Paul's missing a lot of time, but I think he probably was going to be shortchanged, frankly, for how valuable he is uh, because of his, his lesser statistical profile. Um, Doncic could get into the conversation, too, um, uh, because he's incredible and... Uh, the Mavs are similarly making a push. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I don't know, but I do think that Tatum taking, increasing kind of his voice in in these kind of very public forums, like the Old Man and Three podcast, like the interview with Sham Strania, is probably a bit of recognition on his part that he wants to be in the national conversation on stuff like this a bit more than he currently is. And and I, if I remember correctly, I think his his mother studied like sports brand management mm. or something along those lines, right? She has a I mean, she's I think she's a lawyer and an MBA. Like she's she's incredibly well suited to help <laughs> a young uh, NBA superstar navigate his superstardom from like a brand uh, cognizance perspective. Um, so he's got really good advice advice in his in his corner. Uh, when it comes to stuff like this, but I think I think there's a, a, an intentionality here, but I think there's also a maturation in his ability and willingness to come forward and and kind of bring a real a real savvy and thoughtfulness to the con- the the conversations he hit, is having. I, Adam, do you have? I mean, do you think that's like an outlandish take? 
Are you are you con- compelled at all? Or if you take the Celtics in their recent streak since the New Year, it's not crazy at all. I think if you look at the team the way that they're playing, and you go, well, who's their best player, and what's the difference between their first and second best player or first and third best player? I think Tatum needs a lot of credit there, and, and I'm not I'm not trying to short shrift Jalen Brown here. Like he's he's been phenomenal as well, um, but they have two stars. And there's a drop off after that. Uh, and, and so that means that Tatum is really shouldering a huge load and getting a lot of uh, attention, especially on offense. Um, so, and, and, you know, what you said about him being a two-way player, that's real. And I think often overlooked, especially when we get into some of these end of the season awards and, and you get guys, you know, like Trey Young last year or other players that are really on one side of the ball, um, that that are in the conversation or the top four of MV, MVP voting, uh, I think more weight should be put on playing both sides. Uh, so I think Tatum's getting there. I do think that he's going to be hurt by where we end up in the standings at the end of the season, which is going to be largely based on the first half of the year. And this is a full like year award, regular season award. Um, he has played but, most but of the Jokic, games too. So Jokic, Jokic is sixth in the standings. Like... And he might get hurt too, frankly, by that. Like that might be why, yeah, uh, Embiid ends up winning or Giannis ends up winning over him because what Jokic is doing is impossible. He, like it doesn't make any sense. He is having uh, his. I, I can't remember these stats came out a, a couple weeks ago, but his his plus his net rating is like fourteen or something like that, and. Uh, his his on off I think yeah, it's his on off splits are like plus twenty one right. or something ab- but, absurd. But the uh, which is partly between... because the the bench is is weak. But go ahead. And that's the big thing. That's exactly where I'm going with this. The difference between him and the second best player on that team, Jamal Murray, is obviously great, but he's he's been injured all year, um, and Porter Jr. also has been injured all year. <clears throat> the difference between Jokic and the, the second best player is why he should be considered. He's the, there hasn't been as large of a difference since like the early to mid nineties between one player yeah. on the team and, and their second best player. That is insane. And Jokic is having a off the charts offensive season. Um, I was listening to, I can't remember. Uh, it might've been the thinking basketball podcast and they were talking about how um, Jokic is, is like having an all time great uh, career offensively. Like he's just doing things that, that are insane. And then there's little things like his offensive rebounding is, is amazing on defense. He's, he's a league average player this year. He's not a minus on defense. Uh, so he's just, I mean, it's phenomenal what he's doing. And, and the fact that they're in sixth place is, is saying something given the injuries they've had. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he's crazy, but I guess that's enough about uh, Denver Nuggets players uh, on the Celtic focus podcast. So, Emi Odoka, Mike, I mean, progression throughout the year, he got them with a, uh, having a defensive base. He, he is, uh, well, one of the things that we didn't really talk enough about, actually, uh, that relates to Emi is I love how he is challenging Tatum to stop like little being the little brother to the other uh, best players in the league. Uh, and, and he spoke about this in his press conference. Yeah. Uh, that, that Tatum is, what did he yeah, say? He said, he said, Tatum is taking the alpha approach and this is yeah. this feeds into kind of obviously what I was saying about his increase increased leadership vo- voice and you know Tatum just asserting himself more um, but I, I wanted to save this nugget for when we spoke about Udoka because 
I think, you know, and it, it's a shame that we don't have Josh on the podcast with us this week. He he has long espoused the value of coaches that you're worried can actually beat you up, and and <laughs> and and I'll let Josh speak on that further in a future a future podcast. But uh, Udoka brings the the ability to kind of in a very legitimate way. Like, like he said, you know, what was that in our third game of the season or, or whenever it was when we got punked, right? When Udoka yeah. says that, I think, you know, NBA players feel embarrassed and NBA superstars feel embarrassed. And he can, he'll go in Tatum's face and be like, yeah, you're getting a little brothered, right? You need to, you need to man up. You need to, you need to assert yourself on this game. This is a grown man's game and, and no one's going to give it to you. You got to take it. And we are seeing, the growth from Tatum and this team in how to approach the, the, you know, how to bring that mindset set game to game. Obviously Marcus smart always kind of brings that mindset, except, you know, Marcus smart brings it kind of like the, the chippy little brother that always feels slighted, which is great. You need that energy. You love that energy, but it's different when you're, when you have the, that big brother potential like Tatum does, but you're not you're not playing with that big brother mindset, and now he's starting to, and I think Ime um, deserves a ton of credit uh, for helping the team kind of find find itself in that way specifically. Um, what do you think, Adam? I completely agree. I've just been so impressed with what Udoka is doing. I, I mean, the the big thing around that Tatum. Uh, like man's game thing is it's just a, a an identity shift from that. I think he's had a, 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 in a, in he's made progress in his whole career from coming into the league going like, where do I fit in this league? Let me, let me uh, uh, put a stamp on, on who I am in this league uh, to impressing people to dunking on LeBron and going, Oh wow, I belong here to LeBron uh, a year or two later going uh, he's a problem to playing in the Olympics and having Durant say that guy's a bucket and basically like he's next. Um, and, and basically having other people anoint you and, and praise you. Uh, and, and he's getting that feedback, but he's still thinking of himself as below that. And when that shift happens where he goes, no, I'm the best player on the court when he's playing with those other guys, like I think, you know, against Brooklyn and, and he Tatum likes, Going up against Bradley Beal, he likes going up against some of these guys that, that like like in that Brooklyn game. So it, when if he can come away from that game going, I was the best player on the floor. I'm going to be the next time, even when Kevin Durant is on the floor, or Kyrie, who who uh, was kind of a mentor to, to Tatum in his rookie season. Uh, he, Tatum certainly looked up to him. I, I think that's the big shift, and I, we don't know whether that has happened already or is in process of happening or is still yet to happen. But when that does, I think that I, I don't I believe that it hasn't quite happened yet. When it does, that's going to be huge. And I think Udoka has really helped him along in that way. Yeah, and so I, I yeah uh, I agree. I mean, I think I think it's the type of you know like there are there are only so many people out there like you know MJ was or Kobe was right where they're just all, no matter what believe that and are like kind of yeah. sociopathic in that belief. Um, 
and Tatum's not going to be that like that, right? Like, but I, so I think it's always going to be a little bit fluid and on a spectrum, and it, it might need some the right type of people around him to help reinforce that at times. But I think he's yep. getting to a place where where that you know being locked into that mindset is more and more stable on that on that kind of fluid spectrum, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I didn't even talk about Ime Odoka's actual coaching. In, in, I mean, that's part of the coaching for sure. But just the way that he's implemented systems and the progression that they've made and how the team has bought in, I mean, it, it took a little longer than fans may have wanted, but that was not that unreasonable amount of time. Yeah, so, what we're so that gets me to, to a key question I wanted to ask you and I wanted us to t- talk about. So like, you know, again, the first three months of the season, very frustrating, not the results people hoped. Um, and, you know, you, even you, who had uh, more muted expectations than me, and my expectations weren't like outlandish. I didn't expect a championship, but I was a little rosier based on the offseason moves than than you were uh, of what the team team would look like. You know, it was still a disappointment to both of us for sure over the first few yeah. months. And in turn, right, Ime received a lot of criticism, yeah. like a lot of criticism, and there were people calling for Ime to get fired within the first two to three months of the season. But even Which beyond was ridiculous that, at like, the time. I think, I think, uh, yeah, I, right. I was going to say, I think we can easily both agree like that was never warranted or appropriate. Um, but there were, you know, there were things with his rotations. There were things with like, and lineup choices and not playing the young guys, etc. So my question is how, you know, given how the season has evolved, if you're to take a moment to reflect, like was was any of the early season criticism of Ime fair? And if so, what what do you think was? It's so easy in hindsight to say, no, it was not warranted. It was not fair. Because <laughs> look at what they're doing. <laughs> look <laughs> at the progress that they're making. It, this, I mean, this whatever it took to get to this point. I was thinking about this this morning. And I, I wondered, like, were there points where Udoka was worried about his job? where he was thinking things aren't going well, this is not good for me, uh, where he was concerned at all, or did he just kind of say, this is what I'm going to do, and I, I'm confident in it? And Because it, things were ugly <laughs> at the you know midway through the year. This team was not looking like a team that was going to win a playoff round. And they were looking like a team that might not even make the playoffs. And they were looking like a team whose future was in jeopardy. And now they're looking like a team that could make the finals potentially but that certainly should win one, maybe two rounds in the playoffs and make the conference finals and has a super bright future. Uh, So it's hard to argue with the results and it's hard to complain about the process when you're talking about three months uh, for a head coach who's never done it before. Is there anything that you would uh, think that any criticism that was fair before? No, I mean, so what I've, uh, the reason I wanted to ask this question is like, I've seen at least on like Celtics Twitter, you know, some people saying like how they're so happy with Udoka now, but there there still were some things that, you know, they felt like Udoka was doing poorly at the onset that he deserved to be criticized for. Um, I, and I I just, I think there's two things to it one is or maybe three things and actually um john hollinger and nate duncan on their on the hollinger and duncan podcast touched on this and the way they kind of evaluate 
uh, coaches. They did a, a coaches ranking podcast mm-hmm. uh, recently, or like the first part of it. Um, and Hollinger said this, right? He was in the Grizzlies front office for a while. Um, and he talked about availability bias and how it's very easy to be biased based on the data that is available to you when evaluating coaches and the data that's available to us as fans is the in-game decision-making, right? The rotations mm-hmm. that, that, that are being deployed, the, when they're using timeouts, eight, you know, after timeout play calling, things like that. Uh, what's not available to us as fans is the day-to-day relationship building and relationship management um, with players, the way they're talking through and going over, you know, new schemes, implementing new schemes, going over film, um, help, you know, learning players' tendencies and players' mindsets and attitudes and how to help a player in a given set of kind of, you know, behavioral circumstances and conditions grow in the way that will help the player achieve their own goals within, while also supporting the team achieve its goals, right? There's so yeah. much more that goes into being a coach and a head coach than just those in-game decisions and those lineup choices. Um, and so one thing that frustrated has always has frustrated me with all of the like criticism of Udoka is like, <laughs> I mean, fran, fans are incredulous, like, and we're no better, right? We have this podcast. We're obviously not like professional, like we don't have a, a professional career or background in, in working in the NBA, but, um, you know, fans do a great job of, of, assuming that they know better than the people that are, are paid a lot of money to do this stuff as if there aren't lots of other really qualified p- people competing for these jobs that mm-hmm. only a select few get. Uh, but like this dude was hired by Brad Stevens, who I think everyone generally agrees knows a thing or two about coaching in the NBA. He worked under, <laughs> uh, he worked under Steve Nash. He worked under doc rivers and he, Oh, by the way, he worked under Greg Popovich, probably the greatest head co- NBA head coach of all time. Like there's a reason he's been employed <laughs> in the NBA. So it always seemed incredulous to me that fans were like, no, he's a bad coach. It's like, I, I think he was hired for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like he, and maybe, maybe we just haven't seen the fruits of that. Did he make perfect decisions all the time? Of course not. Especially in some of the th- stuff that we observed. And I'm sure he'd acknowledge that. But I also think there was probably more method to some of the choices he was making on an in-game basis, even at the time that may have felt wrong to fans, like some of the decisions, uh, you know, I think the Dennis Schroeder lineup choices are probably the, the biggest pain point for pa- fans this season. But even that, I, f- I feel like that was a probably related to commitments or promises the organization made to Schroeder when we signed him in the off season and probably belief that Udoka had about how he can help players buy in uh, and adopt kind of this type of system we're seeing now. And I bet he felt like the way he's gotten uh, Tatum and Brown to shake out of some of their old habits, he could have done the same with Schroeder. And I'm not convinced that's incorrect. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I, I think, I, I guess, so no, I don't think a lot of the early season criticism was fair. Um, and I'm glad uh, that we're seeing Udoka kind of, get the recognition right he was the coach of the month um yeah clearly well deserved the team has been you know just insanely good of late 
um, and and obviously the way that he has resonated with the players, and he holds them to account, and he's been in their ears, and he's been tough in public, which I've seen people criticize still, saying that that was still like that still should be criticized. Why? Like yeah. I think that worked for this these players, and like Brad yeah. didn't do that enough, and I think that was a problem with Brad Stevens' coaching style. And Brad realized that he he wouldn't do that. Like that was not who he was, but it was probably something that was needed. So I I just uh, I really wanted to ask this question just so I could be like, why are we pretending like we know what makes a good NBA coach better than you know Greg Popovich and Brad Stevens? <laughs> What about rotations? And he's had short rotations all year. What about that? Can we criticize him for that? Again, I don't. I don't think so. I, like I was never as high as you were, as adamant as you were early in the season about our need to play the young guys. I'm glad that I'm glad that Pritchard is playing more, and I, I think Pritchard is playing very well. I think there were opportunities to make some subtle, some different choices. He he probably could have moved away. He almost certainly could have moved away earlier from, you know, the the closing lineup that included Schroeder, uh, along with what well, was it? I think it was Smart, Brown, Williams, and Horford. That was that was that performed really poorly in most of those fourth quarter collapses we had. That was typically mm-hmm. the lineup we had out there. Um, but I there's also a part of me that that genuinely believes, and I argued this on the podcast earlier, and I still think it like I'm not I think Udoka, if given more time with Schroeder, probably good could have gotten him playing less and less in his old habits and more and more in the the preferred system. Now, I don't think Schroeder ever would have been the ideal fit, and I think we clearly should have moved off of him, and I'm happy we did. So I don't want to like get that misconstrued, but I but I think if you're if you're a coach that believes you can build really strong relationships with your players and can get through to them and can help coach them and guide them into maximizing themselves with for themselves and within a team concept, then that's going to inform the way you make decisions on a day to day basis. And um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't think you can separate it all that easily, necessarily. The success is certainly there right now. And we'll see what happens uh, as they close out the regular season. I love what you said. You know, Brown saying we haven't reached our ceiling yet. I think that's absolutely true. They're still learning to play together. They're still learning how to stay with the offense. I think uh, I loved hearing in the post game from the Brooklyn game, Brown and Tatum talk about uh, Robert Williams being the guy that still has a level to go and that if he can hit that, that that's going to be huge for this team. Um, Should we talk about standings, Mike? Because I've started watching. Yeah. Oh, I've been, I mean, I've been watching since November. So, (laughs) well, there's been a lot of movement in the, just the last week. So uh, right now the Celtics are uh, in fifth place, but they started out in sixth place a week ago. Philly moved up also from number three to number two. Chicago moved down from number two to number four, having lost four in a row. Milwaukee moved up from five to three. I'm already Cleveland moved down. (laughs) I know, right? Cleveland moved down from four to six. Uh, And by the way, we're recording this on, on Monday evening while Chicago and Philadelphia are playing each other. So... 
I, I'm wondering if we're, it feels like we're starting to see the standings shake out a little bit. Like I, like if things ended around where they are now, it wouldn't surprise me. Like the fact that Chicago, not that they lost four in a game, four in a row, but that they moved down in the standing based on their point differential. That kind of makes sense. Philadelphia moved up and their, their differentials increasing just because of the addition of Harden. Um, Cleveland, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't see them as the same level of contender as the teams above them right now. Uh, so I, I'm wondering, you know, are things kind of settling in here where Miami is, is going to stake their claim to number one, Philadelphia is, is going to end up at two, Milwaukee around three, or maybe in a slightly different, you know, three, two for the two of them. Uh, Chicago kind of in the middle of the pack, and maybe they're fighting for the fourth seed with us with Cleveland rounding it out at six uh, and the difference between six and Toronto Cleveland at six and Toronto, it's three games now at the number seven seed. So uh, well, what do you, you think ask, about that? If you ask five thirty-eight, I know I go <laughs> <too>. <laughs> uh, they would have Miami at number one, uh, their projected record 55 and 27 Philadelphia's projected record 52 and 30, the Bucks and Celtics, tied at 50 and 32 um and i believe we have the tiebreaker uh, but but whatever one of us would be third the other would be fourth uh the bulls at 47 and 35 the Cavs at 46 and 36 i would say that order feels right um to me in terms of um where teams deserve to be slotted based on how they've played this season and based on how strong I think they'll be in the postseason. Uh, not that that is exactly how things will play out, but um, I will say I'm, you know, this is not the ride I predicted to get there, but I'm feeling pretty good about my Celtics coming in fourth in the East. I got a lot of things wrong about how I picked the East. I said the Bucks in Brooklyn would clearly be one and two. I said the Hawks would be three. Uh, so I have very few things to point to as correct in my <laughs> East standings prediction, but I might have gotten the Celtics right by happenstance. Um, I, I do, I do think there's a reasonable chance, especially if the Bulls' health issues like Caruso and uh, Ball continue to stay sidelined, I could see the Bulls continuing to slide. The Cavs slide. I think you know they're two and eight in their last ten, um, if I'm remembering correctly. So I think I I do think we could catch up to the Bulls and and pass um and we'll stay ahead of the Cavs. So I would I would put us at fourth and maybe you know maybe sneaking into third if things really break right for us. It's interesting to to watch Miami. Uh, do you think they're going to stay at number one? Which the risk there is that they end up playing Brooklyn in the first round, or do you think they'll they'll try and manipulate manipulate where they end up in the standings? No, I don't think they're going to try to manipulate yeah. anything. Um, it, uh, frankly, of all of the teams most likely to manipulate their position in the standings, it's going to be the one that is helmed by Daryl Morey. He is, he is the only one that literally has no respect for the integrity of kind of winning and losing on a game to game basis. In my opinion, um, uh, he, he will, you know, he's, he's that guy in any game that will like look for any kind of backdoor shortcut. Uh, to maximize his odds where you're like, that's technically not against the rules, but it clearly violates the spirit of the game. That is Daryl Morey. And so he would absolutely try to end up in third instead of second to avoid the chance of like Brooklyn winning the play in and having 
them as the two seven. And maybe it's the right choice to make, but it it totally spoils the um the spirit of the game, the spirit of competition. Do you do you do you do you think that's an accurate an accurate read? I'm smiling. I'm just smiling at what you said. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I would li- I would like you I would like you to uh, elaborate on that smile, Adam, please, for the audience. I think the four seed will be coveted, uh, and and because of the home court advantage, I, I'm liking where the Celtics are looking to end up here in the three to five ish seed. Uh, it allows them to avoid, to me, the Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and uh, Miami teams as well as Brooklyn. Uh, and I like uh, a, a slightly easier first round matchup. I would, I feel like it's going to be easier against Chicago or Cleveland or Toronto. Yeah, I mean, it's looking, it's looking good. I haven't looked at. Let me pull it up now. I haven't looked at the Celtics' remaining strength of schedule. There was a stretch. I think it's sixth or something. It's it's not. It's somewhat high, but yeah, it's, it's seven. Uh, it's seventh yeah. right now. Milwaukee, Milwaukee has, has the hardest, the and yeah. and no, Chicago now has the first. Milwaukee's fourth. So again, like those are the two teams right ahead of us in the standings. So I would and, be I would be surprised if we didn't get up to fourth. Well, here's the thing with that strength of schedule, Mike. Um, the games at the end of the year for us, like the last two games are against Milwaukee and Memphis, and depending on what's happening, and, and Chicago. Those are the last three games: Chicago, Milwaukee, then Memphis. So we may there may be some some Daryl Morying of the of who's playing in in those games, depending on on how things go. I hope not. I I really I I'm embarrassed for you, Adam, that you're not brave enough to admit why you were smiling. Um, but that's I, okay. I, look, I I just I, it's gamesmanship. I I think it's interesting. I like I kind of I like Daryl Morey for it. I'm not suggesting that I would do the same thing. Uh, I think it's a little funny <laughs> that he does it. I also I, I don't think I have as confident a. Um, a way of saying that that's who he is as you are. And I was kind of smiling at that as well. <laughs> you, you don't really after he literally just like manufactured James Harden quitting on Brooklyn with, you know, completely unacceptable levels of black back channeled uh, communication. Oh yeah. I'm aware. You don't think that's a fair assertion of what what is in Daryl Morey's character? I wasn't sure if you were, you know, looking back at at him uh, sitting players at the end of the season, uh, but you know, it, it, it aligns with that for sure. Yeah, no, more just how he's generally operated and the t- types of thing he says in public and the the way he acts and yeah, I, I just he's he's very much a gamesmanshiper. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Next three games, we already kind of talked about this, but at Charlotte, then at home against Detroit, and then Dallas. So Charlotte and Dallas are, are playoff teams, and this, you know, if you include the uh, play-in tournament, Detroit's been beating some good teams. Uh, so uh, and Dallas is is on ABC. Um, so we'll see uh, we'll see what happens in those games. Uh, both will, of us will Luca no will Luca beat us with yet another game-winning three for the third time in a row. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it, and I'm I'm upset at you for reminding me. <laughs> I, I'm going to say no. We're going to be ahead enough. We just need to have a six point lead. <laughs> They've been playing so that well. We can take that They've step back to the left. The, the Latvian laser is, is back in form. 
the Latvian laser is that uh, who is that? Davis, Davis Bertans. <laughs> is his three point stroke back? I believe I believe it's back. I think he's back, like shooting over forty percent with. Uh, <laughs> well, with you're Dallas. excited about uh, Porzingis in Washington, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I was. Uh, I live in the DC area. I was at I was at Porzingis's uh, opening game against the Indiana Indiana Pacers uh, points, on right? Sunday evening. Yeah, he had a he had a huge huge block. He had a huge alley oop. Uh, my girlfriend roots for the Pacers, so you know, wasn't wasn't ideal, but <laughs> it was it was fun to see the unicorn in action. <laughs> All right, uh, stay tuned, everyone. If you continue listening to this podcast, you are a part of Celtics Pride. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod, individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko. I am not on Twitter. This has been Celtics Pride on Celtics Blog.